Happens, the podcast where sexuality meets reality. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Sex Happens podcast. Today, you'll hear part one of a two-part podcast. Jean-Pierre will tell his story about growing up gay in a very rural part of Germany and the obstacles that led to delayed exploration in terms of his sexuality and his sex life. Alongside his own journey, Jean-Pierre tells us the history as it relates to the HIV and AIDS crisis in the 70s and 80s, and the fall of the Berlin Wall when he moved here to mark a new time in history. Jean-Pierre will tell us about his HIV diagnosis and how it's affected him and his relationships. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where should I start? So actually, maybe even as early as uh, how I became aware that I'm gay, so that I'm definitely convinced from the fact that it's in my genetic code and nothing I was looking for or I became because I was uh, for, for a certain time in a boarding school, let's say 10 or 11, mm -hmm. I became aware that, for example, at that time, I mean, I'm already almost 60, so we are talking about a long time yeah. ago. So back in the 70s, you still had printed catalogs. And okay. I became aware that I was just getting interested in looking at the men's underwear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and not at the women's. <laughs> okay. You know, so, yeah. and I was like, I, I was thinking, well, what a pity that they are wearing briefs. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather see what's behind that, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's basically how it started. And okay. uh, I grew up in a very different way than most people do, because I grew up in the countryside and not even in a village, but on a farming estate in Bavaria. That means it's just the farm. So we okay. don't even have neighbors. I mean, one circumstance made it easier because the, the brother of my father, my uncle, mm -hmm. it turned out that he's gay too. Uh, Did you know that at that age? I, I started to become aware of the fact that he was always coming with a guy to see my okay. grandma and uh, didn't get married and uh, never saw a, a woman. Of course, I was like even my my dad, he was not explaining, but definitely he wasn't lying to me because I remember okay. that I asked him uh, when he's uh, going to get married and my, my dad would not lie to me. He would just say he he's not so much interested in women and then of course becoming aware of my own sexuality i sooner or later saw okay that's the reason why he's always coming with yeah. a guy uh yeah that, but on the other hand i mean that this is the, the what i was pointing out is uh, how different my growing up or my becoming sexually socialized person mm -hmm. it just didn't happen in puberty yeah because i i was aware that i'm interested in guys but i i couldn't even try it out and so basically it happened not before i moved to munich after finishing high school or gymnasium as it is okay. called in germany that was 84 uh that was the beginning of the aids epidemic at that point it only affected or 99% of the cases were among uh, gays. So it was basically called the gay plague or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and of course, this, this made me highly insecure when yeah. I moved to Munich and not knowing 
know how to react. There was def definitely no cure at that time. So you just knew the, the moment you get it, you're already almost dead within wow. years. I mean, the, the point with uh, HIV or AIDS then is that it can take up to 10 years to really turn into a disease. Okay. So you're positive, but you might not even have symptoms. Okay. So, and if you're not tested, you just pass it on, you know, and that's basically how, how the ep epidemic pa uh, started. So basically also in, in Munich, nothing really happened. Uh, usually I spent the weekends on the farm uh, and just was uh, in Munich from Monday to Friday for studies. I, I became, uh, first uh, I started with an interpreter school. Mm -hmm. So that's majoring in English. And um, then I started studying at the University Public Relations. And um, I'm not so sure whether my HIV infection already happened there. It was uh, diagnosed at uh, 2005. Okay. So that's quite a bit later. So I, I assume that it was uh, uh, in Berlin. Point was, actually, I, I never pictured myself moving to West Berlin at that time, of course, mm -hmm. because I didn't like the idea of being encircled by a concrete wall. Although a lot of young men my age did so, because living in West Berlin would mean you would not be drafted to the oh. West German army, because okay. West Berlin was officially not a part of West Germany. Okay. It was its own political entity. Okay. And so if you had your main residence in West Berlin, you were out of the game. So a lot of young men, just to avoid being drafted, just mm. moved to West Berlin. Okay. Was no reason for me. I just told the army I'm gay and that was it. I mean, today I could <laughs> okay. sue. I mean, that's how times change. I mean, today yeah. I could sue them for discrimination. Of course. Uh, but at that time, it was just a reason to get out, you know, because wow. I'm, I'm born 64 and 64 is the, are the years of the boomers where they had yeah. enough personnel for the army. So they were more or less generous in, huh. in and there was no <clears throat> penalty or negative consequence to you telling the army that you were gay? Actually not, no. Okay. It was funny because, I mean, they sent you to a psychologist and uh, I went to some, some in Munich and he was saying, why are you here? And I said, well, because the, the army wants it. I told them that I'm gay. And then he said, well, I can't promise you anything because sometimes... They just are, you know, smiling if I give you a, a what, do you, what do you call that in English? Uh, like, like a diagnosis of yeah, sorts. Yeah, 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 something like that. And so maybe it's also a difference between like Munich being a, a larger city, my army drafting office or what do you call that, mm -hmm. was in the countryside. So in a smaller town of like 25,000 people. And so obviously they were even more conservative and you know in and, your district yeah yeah and so okay. they were just like okay we don't need him so just okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, uh, i was uh, easy out of that game okay it was actually july 4th i never forget that my personal independence day <laughs> <laughs> i like that <laughs> anyway so um but when the ball came down that was my reason to to move to berlin because i, I found it all of a sudden so exciting with my sexual life, I, I mean, it was still the the AIDS crisis was still present. There was still no cure. I mean, they started having uh, first treatments, but it was like a whole bunch of tablets. You have to take like up to 12 or 20 
different uh, pills and exactly on the minute so you wow. even would have to put an alarm clock in the two o'clock at night to wow. make sure that you get this pill uh, to the minute uh, uh, in the middle of the night and but nevertheless people were still dying so it was no real cure just prolonged suffering more or less Wow. And then I think it was like the end of the 90s uh, when the breakthrough came with the antiretroviral uh, treatment that kept the virus in a certain limit. I was diagnosed that, that uh, uh, I'm a late presenter means I was obviously already for quite a while positive, okay. uh, but didn't know it. Wow. Uh, so no symptoms, no, symptoms no indication. whatsoever. Okay. Uh, I didn't lose weight. I was no, not feverish, coughing, all the things that symptoms that would might have been typical. So actually, it was discovered because I, I was just like with an epileptic. Uh, ah, do you call that like Ep a seizure? Yeah, in in the supermarket. Wow. <laughs> well, fortunately, it was in a supermarket where because, there's people to help yeah. or call someone. Yeah, because. If it would have ha happened uh, at home, probably for for the first time being, I mean, at that time I was in a relationship, but we didn't live okay. together. So actually, we wanted to have guests the next day, and so I went to the supermarket to to do some grocery shopping, and then I remember that the last picture I have is that I put uh, milk in the uh, in the. What do you call in the that? card, yeah. Uh, and the next picture is the doctor in the emergency asking me whether I can understand him. Wow! You know? So there's there's really a chunk of my life just missing. And then uh, in the hospital, they they kept me there for like four days, and then they were saying, "Well, we have the suspicion that you uh, already might have AIDS." Uh, wow. Because they they made a sample test, like tests, blood yeah, tests, yeah. and other. Yeah are not allowed to do a HIV test without your consent. Okay. And so they were just saying, okay, we would like to do that because we have the suspicion that you might be positive. Wow. And yeah. the report of the hospital, I went to my doctor and said, so they suspect uh, that I'm positive and already having uh, AIDS. developed AIDS. Yeah. And then he said, he made the test and was positive. And then I said, okay, well, what does this mean? And then he said, okay, now we, I have to make a blood screening to see where your immune system is. And it turned out to be basically no longer existent. That you no longer had an immune system? Yeah, more or less. Wow. They're the so-called T cells. Yes. And there's especially the C4, is it called? And okay. usually you have around, like if you're a healthy person, you have like 700, 900. And there were just like 30 left. Wow. And uh, I remember that because I was sitting in front of him and he was like, he was shaking his head and I was actually, I don't want to know it so precisely because I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, I have no idea what's what's wrong with you but you actually you shouldn't sit here okay. with, the, with these uh what i'm reading here wow. so and then of course there was no question to start therapy right away maybe because i came so late with the infection i was just lucky because uh the medicine they were so advanced already that i think within not even half a year i was the virus was uh, as they call it undetectable wow Okay. So, and that's basically ever since, 
so if you make if you would make an HIV test, you would not detect it. Uh, medicine today is so advanced that even if you would have unprotected un unprotected sex, sex yeah. with me, there's no danger to get that for me. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. And this was in 2005. I mean, not yet, uh, 2005, not yet. It okay. was, they were just working to the extent that they very soon just let the, the virus level drop so far that it would, would be undetectable. Okay. And at the same time, the T cells would uh, uh, increase. increase again. Yeah. Within, let's say, I don't know, let's say 10 years or so, I was back on a level where you would say it's a healthy person. Like I wow. would have like almost 700 T cells again. The virus would be undetectable. Instead of three pills, I'm just taking one pill in the morning. And this, this keeps the status. And it's even said on the dating platform. Whether or not the, you're positive that, status. And not even that, but you would just, the one guys would say they are on PrEP. Basically, they take the same pill and that to prevent them infection from, yeah. in case they have sex with somebody who is uh, infectious because he's not tested and doesn't know that he's positive. Mm -hmm. Or you would uh, tell just you're on TASP. And okay. this means is the abbreviation for therapy as prevention. And then they know, okay, you're positive, but you're uh, doing, because you're doing therapy, you're not infectious. Wow. So that's an amazing amount of disclosure right at the very beginning when you meet someone. Yeah. That's actually, really great. Basically, in the gay community, I think it's all about are you practicing safer sex or not? Yeah. But the, the number definitely decreased significantly. By, by the, yeah. significantly. And at the same time, other STDs are on the rise. Because people believe that that protection, I think it's easy to assume that protection carries over into other... I personally think it's really that they just take the risk because they say it's more fun to do without uh, uh, using a, a rubber. Yeah. And so they just more or less live with the risk. Okay. Anyway, so um, I have no idea where I contracted it actually okay. so it was not because i was so promiscuous actually it was the contrary i, I still <laughs> continued to be very hesitant mm -hmm. but because i in the meantime i had developed a really almost like an ex anxiety of having sex if i w would date a guy sometimes even if i would like him by the looks we would just start talking and and then it ended up in just talking Okay. And then after two hours of talking, I was like, oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm no longer horny. So let's, <laughs> let's meet another day or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And this was before finding out about HIV and after? Or and you after feel... Both. Okay, both. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think it was like, then I, I focused more on this kind of not really anonymous, but really getting to the point. Yeah. So, you know, like meeting in a ready for action situation yes so not not to get into this talking mode <laughs> you yeah know? so and that's basically i think how how i contracted and of course i was like also taking the risk sure. uh, and not practicing uh, safer sex although i knew that it's dangerous and during those years so i think you mentioned when you moved to munich and then starting to explore your sexuality 
what were the kind of testing resources available at that time? Was it common to get tested frequently or was it difficult to do? No, no, no. I think it was, at the beginning, it was definitely rather a taboo. Oh, um, okay. to, even to talk about. And of course, there were only very limited places where you could do it at all. Wow. So usually you would go to a state-run institution, which huh. we call in German Gesundheitsamt, okay. where you could do it on a anonymous okay. base. However it worked, I don't know. But it was, it was really uh, uh, problematic to get tested. Okay. I think that started then in the 90s. And then you had, of course, like places like Berlin, mm -hmm. uh, where the, the numbers were really skyrocketing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so very soon they had the first uh, hospitals really focusing on the, the AIDS epidemic. Then you had the first doctors who really were focusing in their practice on HIV and uh, its consequences. And okay. of course, I, I met one of the, the doctors. He was, he was actually the doctor. I, I then, in 2005, ended up with being treated by him. And he, he was confronted with the AIDS disease from the very beginning in the 80s. Okay. And wow. so he was like telling me how frustrating it was also for the doctors to actually at the beginning not being able to help. So wow. just yeah. because the people were just dying and they very soon, very, very fast. And, and, and so they couldn't do anything against. So they were just basically trying to, to do whatever came to their mind, combining pills, like whatever. Well, then I, that was also the time when I started this relationship. And um, in that relationship, that was basically... Uh, Mon monogamous. Monogamous. Say it again. <laughs> yeah. You really don't like that word. No. no. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, and but it like many other uh, gay uh, relationships very very soon turned into a platonic one. Okay. So since we didn't discuss the situation, he knew that you had received an HIV it, diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't discuss how it impacted the two of you. No, it, uh, we didn't discuss the fact that we are no longer having sex. Ah. Uh, whether we should turn it into an open relationship like many do or whatever, and or why this is the case, stuff like that. So we were basically living parallel lives and, okay. you know, seeing each other on a, on a regular basis, not living together, but seeing like three or four times a week, also staying overnight, but nothing happened. Okay. So, and because the, the relationship was not really declared, like let's turn it into an open relationship or so, I didn't feel free to do anything by myself. Sure. So for, let's say a decade, I didn't have sex at all. Wow. And, okay. Uh, yeah. You were in the same relationship that whole decade. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, um, well then, uh, I think it's now five years ago yeah. we really uh, just uh, parted and uh, he, yeah he met somebody and which was then well i already at the same time i already knew this is not gonna work any longer yeah but out for just because of the habit i would probably have taken it two more years even okay. you know so you've invested that time in your lifestyle is is concrete in some ways yeah uh, and and i mean 
It was like even seeing each other had dropped to maybe once a week. Okay. So, wow. but you know, it was just a habit or kind of being afraid then even not having this one evening company, stuff like that. So, but then he said, I've met somebody and let's just end this here. And it was like my second Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was really like a little strike. <laughs> I, I felt really a great relief. Yeah. I, I was uh, probably just too cowardish to, to do that, to, do, yeah. to make that step. On the other hand, it was not that after we parted that I started going out and going back to dating because again I had such there was such a high level of anxiety of kind of uh, being seen I don't know like let's let's call it a loser in oh. in bed because I didn't so have sex for such a long time. even just in your confidence around sex yeah. not and that was separate and maybe also in addition to disclosure or did you not feel any hesitance or shame or fear around disclosing to new partners that you had HIV? No, this is, uh, I think this is absolutely no, no problem today okay. because uh, as I pointed out already, it's basically part of a dating platform. Okay. You're already saying what's going on and nobody cares about today. Uh, if you're saying I'm positive, uh, people are just taking your sh their shoulders and say, yeah, so what? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's <laughs> so nice. That's a, yeah, that's a big improvement, of course. And I've never made any, I mean, I, I consider myself really lucky because it, it, it sounds unbelievable, but I've never made any negative experience with first saying I'm gay and second saying I'm positive. That's Never. amazing. Not in my family, not in, in, in friends of my parents, nor in, in work, wherever. Never. That's incredible. Not a single moment. So I feel lucky, very lucky about that. But returning to the point that I didn't use the new liberty I then had for going out and making dates, but it really took quite a while okay. until I sort of felt ready to, to give it a try. And then at the same time, I was meeting a friend on a wine stand on a market. Mm -hmm. It was not like love at first sight, but, um, and he had really some, some burdens to carry because he, he found his partner after 20 years of uh, being together, dead at home due wow. to a heart attack. And okay. then a couple of months later, his brother committed suicide and he was, oh. they were really close. And so he had two dramatic losses uh, to take care of psychologically. Of, of course, he was not ready in, you know, making dates or whatsoever. But and maybe that was it, because I think it took even a year okay. until I all of a sudden was like, I think you love this guy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it was not like from one day to the other or within uh, uh, couple of weeks it was really all of a sudden I was like no there's more yeah than just liking him you know and it became it became really hard because, because it was one-sided you know uh. and uh, but on the other hand you know he he was not really honest to me he was like saying here yeah, maybe if I, I I just have to 
take more time in getting over these losses and then maybe using you know, that grief as he, a reason he, to avoid the connection he, he made sure that i my hope is not destroyed you know so i still had some hope left that it might turn into a two-way <laughs> so he kept thing. you hanging on yeah more or less to that like okay. yeah yeah or like we say in, in German that uh, he kept me starving on a stretched out arm. Um, but nevertheless, we never ended up in bed, which in in the end made it prob possible that when he told me that he met somebody at the same time, he said, it would be so great if we could save the friendship. And then I said, well, <laughs> that's going to be a hard, uh, tough ride for me. I, yeah. I try, but I can't promise. But I think... One of the points why it worked was that we didn't end up uh, having sex together. Consequently, I, I started to rethink the whole thing. And then I said, well, actually, it wouldn't have worked. So yeah, it's, sometimes it's better in the imagination than it is in real life. Yeah. And I think we, we have the saying in, in German saying love makes blind. Mm, yeah. um, <laughs> and it's partly true, true, because if you're in love, you're just neglecting or you're just uh, <laughs> not realizing that there are things which are actually a no-go yeah um and you it just, makes being yeah. reasonable impossible yeah the, the logic or the maturity to differentiate between who someone is and whether or not that's good for you kind of just goes out the window it's more like <laughs> and then you're starting to become this uh this bird an ostrich Okay. Putting oh, with his your head, head in the sand <laughs> because you just don't want to see what doesn't have to be, you know, or yeah. what shouldn't be there. And yeah. if, if you would be more honest, you would say, ah, actually, no, I don't think it's working. <laughs> but I'm so much in love. It has to work. So I just don't see it, you know. So I uh, yeah. think the psyche can be quite tricky about that. Fair. And um, anyway, so... Um, so by spring or May or something like that, I had, a, I was sort of over it and then also started dating. So I felt ready to do that and also no longer in this, the way I did before, like in this all of a sudden ready for action yeah. stuff. <laughs> well, and then all of a sudden within two weeks, I had to stay as sort of chemotherapy. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that you laughed as much as I did and enjoyed the content. Stay tuned for part two when we learn a bit about Jean-Pierre's journey and battle with lymphoma. If you're loving this podcast and you haven't already, please follow, rate, like, and share the podcast on whichever app or platform that you're using. As always, if you have any feedback, ideas, or ways that we can improve, please share with us on www.cooljane.org or on Instagram at sexhappens1 or at cooljane LLC. We'll see you next time.